welcome to Doing a World of Good, a podcast from the American Institute of Chemical Engineers and generously supported by Raj and Kamla Gupta, shining the light on the positive works of our members and supporters. I'm your host, Bob Norp. And today we have with us three of our members spearheading an initiative focused on LGBTQ plus and allies, a program that is designed to raise awareness, offer support, and create dialogue for issues relevant to lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer or questioning individuals within our profession. It's all the result of a rather quiet dialogue happening within AICHE to better understand LGBTQ perspectives and issues and enlist allies or non-LGBTQ people to help. So now let me introduce our panel. First up, we have Tony Butterfield, an engineering professor at the University of Utah, Next, we have Stephanie Farrell, founding chair of Experiential Engineering at Rowan University and the 2018-2019 president of the American Society for Engineering Education, and Gail Gibson, the now-retired former head of engineering at DuPont. Welcome all to the program. Thank you, Bob. Now, I would imagine most listeners can understand the importance of LGBTQ plus initiatives in the organization. Um, but in, in your opinions, why is AICHE now ramping up this effort? Uh, Stephanie, what are your thoughts on what's happening in the world and in the industry in particular that makes it essential to pursue this initiative right now? Sure. Um, in recent years, there there have been there's been significant progress towards LGBTQ equality in the United States through legislation and societal acceptance. But emerging research on LGBTQ experiences in engineering show that there's still a need to improve the climate for LGBTQ students on campuses and professionals in the workplace. There's a strong learning case for both diversity and inclusion in the classroom and business case for both diversity and inclusion in the workplace. And what it comes down to is ultimately we need to attract and retain the best talent in our profession and we need to create inclusive environments where people can contribute to their fullest potential. Uh, That sounds like a great, great um, mandate on which to proceed. Gail, from your perspective, um, having been at the head of engineering at DuPont and seen firsthand in the workplace what's going on, what would you say is the most important value of bringing this to our attention now? And why has it taken so long for this initiative to even come to fruition? Thanks, Bob. I think Stephanie's intro was really important. Um, but when you look at it from, a, say, a for-profit company, inclusion there's data that shows how it fosters innovation. And the world is moving fast. Every company is looking for an edge. And in fact, I think individuals are looking for an edge, right, in this gig economy. And a place like AICHE is a a home base where people can go to really feed their profession and network. And it's been around over 100 years, 110 years, I think, this year. But AICHE is evolving as well. It wants to lead in a global forum. And I guess what I've seen is the Society of Women Engineers has been talking about LGBT topics for over 10 years, IEEE, ASEE. And I think it's you know kind of getting beyond time where a, a leading professional society should really be engaging in all types of diversity. AICHE has been talking about 
women's issues and ethnic minorities for a decade or two, depending on, on what you pick. So I think the timing is, is excellent. Um, and it, it really is an imperative, I think, overall for businesses, but also for individuals in terms of inclusion uh, and competitiveness. Let me change the tone of the conversation and take it from a skeptic's point of view. I mean, some out there might say that your personal life and your sexuality they have no place in the workplace anyway. So why do you believe it's essential to call attention to both the contributions and needs of LGBTQ persons in this, in this decidedly professional setting? And Tony, I'd love your opinion from an academic standpoint. What's your take on that position? Thanks, Bob. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sitting here at my desk as a uh, professor. I have students coming in here all the time, and right there at my desk is photograph of my family, a couple of them. In fact, uh, me, my husband, my two kids. And, uh, you know, anytime they come in there, they see that photo. If I go into another faculty's office, I see their photo. And then we have faculty retreats at which our family uh, attends. And, you know, you can't get into a conversation with somebody about their weekend at the water cooler without something coming up about your personal life. So I, I, I would say great, that this is a great point. I mean, it's just like there is no real separation between your personal life and your work life when it comes to your family, because your family is the reason that many of us go to work in the first place. Indeed. Yes, it is definitely my motivation on those uh, days of grading big stacks of papers to uh, <laughs> think about my family. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Gail, from a from a, a workplace setting, what would you say? Are you in agreement? I mean, I imagine you would completely agree with Tony, but do you have anything to add to this conversation on that point? Well, I think sometimes as engineers, you know, we can talk about uh, uh, separations or, or very technical topics, right? Um, but we are social beings and that's how humans relate, right? You want to talk about what you did over the weekend or your families or where you've traveled to and what interests you. And, and that's just a natural conversation. And, you know, people coming more out of college today maybe are a little more uh, welcoming and accepting of all types of spectrum, um, if you will, of sexual orientation and gender identity. But I can share, you know, okay, you, everyone heard I'm retired, but Years ago, I was not out in the workplace. Um, I spent a, you know, a, over a decade at work uh, being closeted. And I did that because I was afraid. First, because there were no legal protections for my job, um, but also there was a fear of personal safety. Um, and, and I started to get involved. I was working for DuPont at the time, um, and they had an employee network for LGBTs and allies. And that was very, very helpful to just help me realize the implications to myself about being closeted. I was spending enormous energy and maybe afraid of things that I, you know, probably for the most part didn't need to be afraid of. And after I came out, I came out in uh, uh, the mid nineties at work uh, and had been out to my family prior to that. And it really helped me because before that, as Tony said, I never talked about anything I did on the weekend or my personal life. Um, I avoided employee events. You know, people might go golfing or have picnic with families, and I just avoided. And I think that didn't help me because people kind of didn't get to know me in a way they were used to getting to know other people. When I became comfortable being out, I gave, if you will, others the chance to get to know me better. 
Um, you know, unfortunately, I was just reading some data and uh, from a recent report, and you know, it's sad. Really, two thirds of LGBTs that were surveyed in the United States um, experienced discrimination in their personal life, and when you talk about at work, 46% of LGBTs are not out at work. And you really kind of have to say, well, why? Um, I've worked with allies, or, or if you will, managers at DuPont and, and said, well, people don't know that it's safe unless you start the conversation sometimes, right? Tony talked about having a photo out of his family. That starts a conversation. Um, but managers sometimes need to make it feel a little bit safe in their environment. To, to let LGBTs know and others know that they're very welcoming and want to be inclusive as all. And some of that, you know, can be very simple things about talking about a gay pride parade they may have attended or, hey, I went to this AICHE meeting and there was this uh, reception where there were LGBTs and, and there were these incredible people there. So just bringing it up in a dialogue with your employees as a leader is really important. You know, unfortunately, some of these people that are not out feel like leaders are not going to do anything if there happens to be, you know, harassing type comments. And, and I, I think the majority of people aren't like that. We all want a good work environment for everyone. You know, you, one thing that stands out in that conversation more than anything else is that rep repetition of the word allies. You know, it's one thing to have the support of people who understand what you're going through, to, you know, have the support of your your posse, if you will, the people out there who are going through the struggles that you are. But, you know, to have people who are not actually LGBTQ and actually supporting you and giving you affirmation and helping you to succeed within your organization, that, that's, that's a powerful tool. And Stephanie, how, how are the allies playing a crucial role in going forward in helping the LGBT community within the engineering field? I think allies play a really critical role in um, sort of setting the tone for an inclusive culture. And... Um, and allies, I think one one thing that we stress in our safe zone workshops is that um, ally is a verb. So if you think of allies as um, being visible and active, that can go a long way towards establishing safe spaces and establishing an inclusive culture and starting conversations. Yeah, and, and Gail, how, how would, I mean, obviously you brought up um, a lot of instances where allies played a critical role for you. How does the ally work effectively or to get out there and embrace the LGBTQ initiatives in order to give you and give the people who are uh, in your situation in a workplace, how can they help at, and offer the most support? Yeah, it's really, really critical because there's no one that can influence um, maybe better than an ally that that can be a little more in a neutral setting in terms of they can maybe more easily show empathy with someone that might be struggling with, um, you know, why do we have to have this dialogue in the workplace? Um, it, it, it allows someone to have a better, maybe an easier relationship to be more open with some of the questions. Some people don't need that. My years of work um, in DuPont with the LGBT community, we had more allies in our sort of network group, if you will, than we had out LGBTs. And that was really, really important to, if you will, let LGBTs know that 
there's a lot of people out there that will be supportive. We also sort of had kind of two types of allies. One that was people that wanted to just learn more, right? They, they don't, they want to use the right language. They don't want to say the wrong thing. They want to really study up, if you will, be more aware, uh, understand the issues. Um, sometimes they realize they might have a cousin or even a child at home that they wonder might be gay and, and are just there to learn. Other allies, um, maybe to a little bit of what Stephanie's talking about, are, are willing to intercede. They're willing to act on others' behalf. So if you know there has been some comments made or jokes about gays or something, these kind of allies will shut that down quickly if others don't, right? They'll say, well, that's wrong. We shouldn't be talking about that. Or if there happens to be, you know, not equitable policies in place, they will go ahead and have those conversations with management to, to change that sort of thing. So I think it's a hugely important effort. You know, what you bring up is really mostly about leadership and it's about redefining what leadership means within an organization. And Tony, and let me go to you on this next question. I mean, how do you think these new expectations to advance inclusion change the way that we define leadership? And what qualities would these new leaders embody? Well, you know, I'm, I'm sending uh, 80 students out into the workforce every year, and uh, not all of them are, are going to feel like chemical engineering is the place for them if they don't have a leader that uh, is... Uh, proactive about sending the message that uh, everybody is welcome. So uh, to lead a team, a a diverse team, you really need to be able to connect with all the members of your team and make sure that they are uh, a part of the company and they they feel like uh, their uh, opinions and their personal lives is is also welcome in in that group. So uh, when I talk to our freshmen, I give a a lecture on diversity in chemical engineering and not just on LGBTQ issues, but on other issues as well. And I try to make them fully aware that uh, being cognizant of these issues and and being able to lead and work on a team of diverse people is going to be very important to their job, just as important as being able to solve a fluid dynamics or heat transfer problem. Because in all the companies that we send them out to, they have very strict and clearly stated diversity policies. So if they want to lead a team and be parts of teams in industry, uh, recognizing that these issues are out there and how to deal with them, I think is important not just for our LGBTQ or, or minority students, but it's important for all of our students. And it's important to not remain silent, you know, not to remain silent if you see something going on within the workplace or within you know, anywhere, quite frankly, where it's being, someone's being discriminatory against somebody else. I mean, I think that that's the most important thing about a, a great leader. Um, all of you have made education and mentorship a focus in your careers. Um, you know, some of you have chosen to be academics. Uh, I know, Gail, you were very involved with education within your your professional life and mentorship within DuPont. So how do you foresee this initiative positively impacting students, no matter what their sexual identity and who may be considering their own career choices in engineering? Uh, Stephanie, what's your take on that? 
Okay. Um, one of the, the key reasons that is uh, cited for students leaving STEM is the perception of an unwelcoming climate. And this is especially true uh, for those who are members of underrepresented groups. But there's also compelling evidence that diversity among students and faculty is crucial to the intellectual and social development of all students. So not just minority students, but all students. And failure to create an inclusive environment for minority students negatively affects both minority and majority students. So it's, I think it's uh, super important to set up that, um, to, to make sure that the environment is inclusive for all students, um, both because of the, the learning case um, for, um, for diversity and inclusion, and also to set an example, as Tony mentioned previously, for students who are going to go out into the work, workplace and then become leaders. And Gail, once they're out in the workplace, once they're actively working for a company, how do mentorship programs within organizations need to rise to the standard that needs to be met in order to facilitate the type of leadership and the type of workplace that we want to have? Yeah, I think, you know, for larger companies, it's probably easier because they'll tend to have very similar resources put into fostering inclusion with training, with more formal mentoring programs. What I've found is companies that maybe are a bit smaller or very localized geography, like in the U.S. in a certain you know, geographical area. Sometimes um, LGBTs will feel rather lonely in those locations. And uh, I've talked to a number of them over the years um, in, in other companies and how do they connect. And I think that's some of it. If they just have, you know, maybe someone locally, whether that's their supervisor, their CEO, or just a local manager, or just a colleague that can, you know, turn on those light bulbs or turn on that that feeling of, hey, I understand you, I get you, you know, it's okay to be fully you in front of me. Those things go a tremendous distance to help retain that talent. Um, you know, sometimes I, I think sometimes we can measure, we do what we can measure, right? Things like equal policies and non-discrimination statements, but it's the very simple act of a work colleague or even better, a supervisor, you know, saying, hey, you know, I, I read about this and I didn't understand that, you know, LGBTs don't feel comfortable being out or what do you think about that? Whether you're an LGBT or not, that kind of dialogue really does go a tremendous way to say, I want to learn and understand better, right? And that's part of being that welcoming place that both uh, Tony and Stephanie have talked about. Now, it's part of this conversation, we're, and it's part of this, you know, presenting this initiative to the AICHE community, um, we have to break down what the objectives are for this initiative and where we hope to proceed with it. And Tony, from a, both an immediate and a long-term goal for the initiative, what would you say your immediate goals are and what would you say your long-term goals are? My, my immediate goals would would be to get the message out there to, of course, I'm I'm focused on students as an as a professor, but my message my immediate goal would be to get the message out there to our students that chemical engineering is a is a profession that welcomes LGBTQ plus individuals, AICHE is an is an organization that does as well. So the things that we are doing at our annual meeting like um, our LGBTQ socials and programming and safe zone workshops, 
just the fact that they are there and I can talk to my students and, and tell them that these things are going on, it sends a very powerful message. And uh, it, it, it is one that I, I'm certain is retaining talent that we would other, otherwise lose to other professions. Uh, long term, you know, I mean, long term, I, I would hope that we would not be needed, that uh, – you know, <laughs> that's a, a great, point, that's a great long-term yeah, goal. <laughs> that we would get to a point where, where, they, where we can go into the workplace and these are not issues and we can talk freely about our family. Uh, but of course, that's a, that's a very long-term goal. That's, a, that's way out there. <laughs> but uh, but well-meaning and definitely something that we should pursue. Gail, do you have anything to add to that? Anything that would add a little bit more color to what your short-term and long-term goals are for the initiative? Well, I think Tony paraphrased it well. I, I, you know, fundamentally, it'd be so nice. I mean, I came through engineering college, right, over 30 years ago. And I remember just thinking, oh, wow, you know, it, it's going to be so nice in a few decades when being a woman in engineering isn't so unique anymore. Well, sorry, but here we are 30-some years later and the percent of women in some of the disciplines is still quite low. In chemical engineering, it's getting much, much better, particularly the last 10 years. And I think when I think about LGBTs, I don't want to have to come out as a woman in engineering and then come out as a lesbian, right? It, it's all these unique <laughs> double minorities and qualifiers. I want to be, wow, you know, you're welcome no matter who you are. And, and the diverse perspectives really bring different ideas uh, into not only the workplace, but to our profession. Let's face it, chemical engineering is advancing in many, many different fronts in very fast ways, both academically and in industry of what's applied in government. And we need all those new ideas to solve these great global challenges. You know, so let's get all those people that, that want to be in STEM of all types, you know, in there and helping uh, to work with all of us to support them the best. So uh, I think Tony's dream of, you know, maybe in 10 years, maybe in 15, maybe in five, we don't have to talk about LGBT anymore with respect to chemical engineering. We'll see. Well, again, it's, it's, it's a, a rosy outlook that I fully support. Let me, um, go to Stephanie here for this last question, because I think that a lot of the listeners would probably be interested in finding out how they could get involved, how they can support the initiative. What can they do? So how can our listeners, both allies and LGBTQ, get involved and help you to achieve these both short-term and long-term goals? Thanks. I'd be happy to, uh, to address that. Um, at our annual meeting coming up this year in Pittsburgh, we're gonna be hosting a workshop and panel session on LGBTQ workplace inclusion, followed by a, an LGBTQ and allies networking reception. And I really wanna emphasize that all are welcome to attend. Anyone who identifies as LGBTQ or an ally, anyone who, who wants to learn about LGBTQ issues in the workplace. Um, we also have an LGBTQ and allies online community. It's a discussion forum for ongoing development of LGBTQ initiatives within AICHE and also gives um, our members a chance to connect and discuss uh, issues concerning and opportunities for LGBTQ chemical engineering professionals. The community is open, again, to all professional members who identify as LGBTQ or allies. 
as part of our continu continuing efforts and sorry, and <laughs> diversity and inclusion, Connected is uh, publishing a series of feature profiles focused on LGBTQ chemical engineers. So please check that out and, and learn about some of our awesome LGBTQ identified AICHE members. And is there any resources online that uh, people can point their browsers to and get immediate connection with? Um, you can you can find out more about these initiatives by going to the Doing a World of Good program. So that's doingaworldofgood.org. And uh, yeah, and I think we, we've got a, a website here too that I, I find in my notes, uh, aiche.org slash LGBTQ allies as being a way to directly connect with the, with the initiative. Well, this has been a fascinating conversation, guys. Thank you so much, Tony, Stephanie, Gail, for spending time with us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now, our Thanks. It's been my pleasure. Now, our guests today have been Tony Butterfield, Stephanie Farrell, and Gail Gibson. For more details about some of the topics we discussed or to find out more about the Doing a World of Good program, visit doingaworldofgood.org. And that does it for this episode of Doing a World of Good. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, search for us on your favorite podcast directory or visit doingaworldofgood.org. On behalf of everyone at the American Institute of Chemical Engineers, I'm Bob Norp. Thanks for listening. Thank you.